enjoy the show. Beaming at you from the depths of the internet. This is the Temple of Geek Podcast, your one stop for all things geek. All things geek. Welcome to the Temple of Geek Podcast. My name is Monica, and I will be your host as we discuss the first season of Marvel Studios Moon Knight. If you haven't caught up on the season, you may want to save this episode for later because there will be spoilers. If this is your first time tuning into the Temple of Geek Podcast, welcome. The Temple of Geek Podcast has been around since 2012 and is hosted by a variety of geeks from the Temple of Geek team. Here we cover all manner of geek and pop culture news and events. To our returning listeners, thank you again for tuning in. We really appreciate you being here. With me today to discuss Moon Knight are two of my favorite handgirls. Welcome to the podcast. Could you please introduce yourself to our audience and tell them a little bit about yourself? Sure. Hi, I'm Victoria Male. I work in the entertainment industry as a writer and a development coordinator for a franchise in the industry. Um, and I'm a huge Marvel fan. I'm so thrilled to be back on the Temple of Geek podcast. I'm a huge, again, Marvel stan. Um, have discovered that I'm a huge simp for Moon Knight and Oscar Isaac generally. I used to have a podcast that called Your Biggest Fan Girl that explored fandom from a feminine perspective, through which I met Monica. I'm so happy to be here. Hi, my name is Mariah Narang. I am known on TikTok as that one struggling adult that sims for many characters spanning over many different fandoms. I am currently in college. I'm a history major. I recently discovered that I'm into Oscar Isaac through his best friend, Pedro Pascal. So that was a plus. I've been a Marvel stan ever since the Avengers. And then from there, that's how I became a sim. <laughs> the rest is history. Yeah. And I'm very thrilled to be on this podcast, my first ever podcast. So thank you for having me. Yes! Oh my Yay! god, I'm so excited that we're your first podcast. <laughs> I promise we'll go easy. Basically, today we're just going to talk about Moon Knight, which premiered exclusively for Disney Plus and stars Oscar Isaac, Ethan Hawke, May Kalamawi. The story follows Stephen Grant, a mild-mannered, average, everyday person who is plagued by blackouts and mysterious memories of a separate life. Stephen discovers that he has disassociative identity disorder and shares a body with Mark Spector, a former mercenary and a ruthless avatar for Khonshu, the Egyptian god of the moon and vengeance. So before we get started and do our deep dives, I just want to ask you guys what your general impression of season one was. And if you had to describe it to somebody, how would you describe Moon Knight? So Victoria, if you want to take... Sure. Um, I just, the thing that comes to mind is that Lady Gaga gift of like, brilliant, never before seen, amazing, awesome, talented. Yeah, I love it. It's funny because I've been telling everyone, I've been recommending all my friends to watch it. It's part of the reason I actually love it is that it's quite separate from the MCU. I think that was really great. And to have something a little more self-contained and to have a breather and not feel like, oh, I can't watch this until I've seen X, Y, and Z. And to also like introduce us to this new corner of the MCU. And I think also, I think the acting just totally made the series. I mean, specifically Oscar Isaac, but then also his, you know, fantastic supporting cast of, you know, with May and Ethan Hawke and Antonio Salib as, as Tauret. That was insane. It's so hard to describe it because like part of it is you just have to see. Like if you're a mythology nerd and you like attractive men who duplicate, who become, who like turn into two people, watch it. Mariah, how would you describe it? What was your general impression of season one? 
I think I looked at it like kind of like a cake, you know, like, okay, you got the, the batter of it, like the actual sponginess, then you got the frosting, but then you cut into it and it like gushes out like Skittles, like that crazy cake, right? Yeah. And you're like, what is going on? You know, because in the beginning you see like, okay, it's just an average guy, but wait, there's somebody else living in his body. Excuse me. No, I need the next episode now. And it's kind of like a big mind boggle. Like you think you have it and then it like throws you for a loop. Like it's, it's an emotional roller coaster, but also like an explosive cake. That's how I would describe it. And it's really hard because I kept asking my friends, I'm like, have you seen it? They're like, no, what is it? I'm like, we're going to watch the first episode right now. Cancel all your plans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it's just, it's a show that you want to talk about just, and obviously, you know, gush about how hot Oscar Isaac is, but that's a different topic, but yeah. um, we can do a whole episode on that. Yeah. (laughs) A whole series, but yeah, I would describe it like as a really intricate cake that it just keeps getting better and better with each layer that you go through. Absolutely. I have no, I have no comic book reference for Moon Knight outside of just some of the things that have come in on social media and things like that throughout like the series. But going into Moon Knight, I went into it blind and not very excited. I mean, I was like, oh, it's got to be good. It's Marvel and it's also Oscar Isaac. So I'm sure it'll be fine. But I had zero expectations for it. And now that I have seen it, I'm just blown away by the thoughtfulness of the series, by how sensitive they are to DID, and by just the quality of the acting. Lady of Time Cosplay on Twitter said that this series made her realize how underutilized Oscar Isaac was in Star Wars and what we could have really gotten. And that's basically how I I feel. I feel like this was one long reel of everything, the range of Oscar Isaac, but also just like the storytelling with him as an executive producer, the director, the writers. This was just a beautiful showcase of what Marvel can be outside of superheroes. Because, I mean, we do see Moon Knight and fighting and action, but it is like a different kind of storytelling for Marvel. It really focused in on why we are the way we are, what happens in our lives, and what drove these heroes. We're in the regular Marvel formula of things. Usually you get the hero first, and then you get flashbacks. Find out in like the second Iron Man movie what the relationship with Tony and his parents were and things like that. But in Moon Knight, we get that right up front. We get that like immediately as we're meeting them. But I did enjoy just slowly learning who... Stephen Grant, Mark Spector, and now Jake Lockley, who they are and why they are. And uh, I don't know how you could describe this show to somebody who hasn't seen it, really. Yeah, I think actually, it, it, of course, after my weird babbling first answer, it like crystallized in my brain, the smart thing to say. I think it's a very brilliant character study disguised as a superhero show. No, oh, yeah, that's beautifully put. <laughs> so um, I told you guys a little bit about my history with Moon Knight. Did you guys have any history with Moon Knight as far as reading the comics or was the show your first introduction? I actually, I when I first heard that it was coming out, I actually spoke with one of my good friends and he was telling me like, oh yeah, like he, he, um, he's like the protector of the moon or whatever. And I'm like, oh, so he comes out at night. So he's like a discount Batman. And we got into a whole argument about that. And he was like, just read one of them. So I tried, you know, I have no, no background on it. And it was kind of difficult to follow because he would switch between, you know, Jake and Steven and Mark. And I'm like, what is going on? So I had a little bit 
of idea of like the characters and like their suits kind of like to differentiate but I had no idea about the DID I had no idea about like the actual struggle that Mark was going through or how Khonshu was kind of like you know overbearing and manipulating him like yes like do this for me I didn't realize all that but I think even though with the background I had, it was still kind of confusing, <laughs> but at least I know that he's not Batman anymore. <laughs> I know he's not related at all. He's even cooler <laughs> than Batman. <laughs> it's so funny you say that, Mariah, because I know um, the only prep I really had is two of my dear friends host the Geek History Lesson podcast. So the only prep I really had going into the series was listening to their episode on Moon Knight. And Moon Knight was created to kind of be Marvel's answer to Batman. In the comics, I know Stephen Grant is actually like a billionaire, but it was their creative choice, the, you know, the creators of this series to like not make him like that and to change the Stephen Grant altar and make him a gift shopist. So no, that's so interesting that you're like, is he discount Batman? I'm like, in the comics, kind of, but I love this version of him. And I think it was really fun to go into something where, you know, you're a little, you're a little less informed. And I think that was a really smart choice as far as not going the billionaire route, because we already have like a Tony Stark, who's like a billionaire philanthropist, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it, we don't need like another Iron Man, even though like, I know phase four is all about finding who's the new Iron Man, who's the new leader of the Avengers and all that kind of stuff. But it was nice that they went the gift shop route. And I think it also made him more relatable seeing him on the bus, seeing him like struggle with like keeping dates and things like that. And it made him more relatable where, you know, it's very hard to relate to Thor who, even though there's lots of things we can relate to Thor about. Right. But he's like a God, you know, Batman, for example, like, yeah, you lost your parents. That sucks. But you were still raised in like a tower with like so much money and, it's easier to like suffer loss when you have, you know, access to things or whatever. So I think it was a good choice to just kind of not make him a a billionaire, but I'm, I am questioning. So at the end in that, I guess, end credits scene or whatever you want to call it, the very end of this series, when we finally are introduced to Jake, the car that they're in says Spectre on it. And it looks a little expensive. It doesn't say like Lockley or anything. It doesn't say Grant. So is Mark Spector rich? I don't know because in the comic that I did read, it had the limo, but it was Mark driving it. I feel as though he might be, but I don't think he's going to acknowledge it. I think he rather, because I know that in the show, he's like, oh yeah, I went back. I worked for like one of my cooperatives, whatever, as the mercenary, but I think he kind of like ditched that lifestyle, but Jake is taking advantage of it because oh. he he still has his face, you know, like he does he doesn't have any like super suit or anything like that. He has, you know, Mark's face so he can pass for Mark. Yeah. So I think Mark is rich, but he won't acknowledge it kind of deal. And I think you would have to be rich to be able to pull off the things that he pulls off, right? So like just traveling to Egypt or wherever, like, you know on a dime he had that huge bag of just money and passports and things in that storage locker and stuff and then he has the apartment that that loft apartment that in london that can't be cheap no it's not as someone who very much wants to buy property in london (laughs) 
Yeah, that's not. I don't know. We'll see what happens. So I guess what I really want to know is what was it about the series? Because at least for the three of us, I know that we're really excited about the series. It was something that we really like got into. What was it about the series that really hooked you? I guess it was like, like you said, you were kind of like not as hyped for it in the first episode, but after the first episode, it was like, okay, now I need answers. You know, I guess it was the storytelling where we we're kind of uncovering the mystery or like questioning along with Stephen Grant. Like we were just as confused as he was. And so it was, I guess, the element of mystery. Like, okay, what comes next? Like, I need to see it. Obviously cliffhangers, that's what they're going to do. But it's the idea that, okay, you know, you went from, you know, your daily life from venting to some gold statue to now, okay, you belong to an Egyptian God. Like what, what's going on here? I need answers. So I think it was definitely the mystery element as to what's going to happen next that drew me into it. Yeah, I would totally agree. I think the storytelling was really cool and unconventional as we've seen in these series. And I think for me, I think I said, yeah, the unfamiliarity, like I had no idea where it was going to go. And when they had twists, the twists were huge. And you're like, what? (laughs) And And again, I think, Mariah, you bring up a really good point that since we enter this series through Steven, he's just as disoriented as we all are. And that's a tricky thing to do, I think, as in writing, because I think it's very easy to have a character who's like, it's not the right, it's like, hate this word feels like very loaded, but like the avatar for the audience mm-hmm. um, and just have him be a very inactive character. I think it was very special and they hit it just right to have like Steven be the avatar for the audience where he is just as confused, but he's actually still taking action to figure things out. And I think the other things that really hooked me is I'm a huge mythology nerd and I, but I don't know as much about Egyptian mythology and more of a Greek mythology nerd. So that was super fun. Um, and then also, I think, again, not to, to beat a dead horse, but I just the performances. It was so interesting to see the specificity specifically in Oscar Isaac's performance of like Stephen versus Mark and and Conchu, such this interesting character and, and May, or sorry, and Layla, and then like Ethan Hawke's Harrow is so interesting and a very unconventional villain or antagonist. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, a lot of it was that mystery. It kind of mirrors what happened in WandaVision, where you did not know episode by episode what was happening. You were confused. And it was the speculation that was so fun with WandaVision, where everybody was just speculating about, you know, A, B, C, or D, or it's this, or it's that, or, you know. And so I think that that was what was so fun about WandaVision. And I think that Moon Knight had that as well, where you're just like, was that Jake? Who was that? Who, you know, there's just like, the speculation for me was kind of what really hooked me. It was fun to just wonder. And every time I thought I had something, I was totally wrong. I had no idea. Like every episode I was like, what? What? Oh my God. And so I think it was fascinating and really great storytelling and like bravo to the writers and and everything. You know, I have loved Ethan Hawke since Reality Bites in the 90s. Like, I, I, I've I, loved him. I blame him for all my issues <laughs> that I had in relationships because his character, Troy Dyer, in Reality Bites was the worst, but still, I loved him. His acting is so great, and you really don't get to see enough of it. Like, I think that Ethan Hawke is really great. And then paired with Oscar Isaac, I I was really blown away. 
by the fact that you did not know if Harrow was the good guy or the bad guy. Like you were seeing everything through Steven's eyes. And I think that was really interesting to me because like with Thanos, he had good intentions, right? But like they were terrible, you know, ways to do it with Killmonger, for example. And Black Panther was the same thing. Like supposedly he had really good intentions, but they just have these horrible executions, right? To like their good intentions. And I think Harrow was that same kind of character except he wasn't very clearly the bad guy because at first you're just like, well, is he trying to help Mark? Khonshu is manipulating. It was a villain that was complex, not cut and dry. And you weren't even really sure at some points if he was the villain. Especially when he's the psychiatrist at the hospital. You're like, wait, (laughs) yeah. I don't know if I can trust this, but he's really like doing a hard sell on him being a helpful, helpful guy. And there's times where I'm like, he ain't wrong, you know? So I don't know. I don't know. Also, quickly, on the topic of um, antagonists and Kanchu being manipulative, Mariah, where Mariah has, like, one of the best TikToks ever. And how do you come up with all your, like, special names for Kanchu? Personal yeah. favorites are Crohn's disease and chronic fibromyalgia. Oh, I like um, chlamydia. That one was my Yeah, favorite. I was going to do it. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I guess just one day, um, I was like rewatching it for the millionth time because I'm obsessed with it. And I like across the room, I heard Conchu say something and I was like, shut up, craggle. And I was like, <laughs> this, this can go somewhere. Like, and it was kind of hard for me to remember his name too. And I was like, Conchu, Cashew, like <laughs> Craigslist. Like I was just thinking of all these different names. I'm like, okay, what sounds like Conchu that helps me remember his name. And then sometimes I call him Conchu in my TikToks. I'm like, no, he's, he's named something else. So I guess it's just the, the, it was, I was trying to remember his name. And I guess it just fell into a big list. <laughs> Love it. That was hilarious. Uh, and it's so funny because Victoria and I will be sending your TikToks back and forth to each other. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> it's just, that was great. Some of the takes that you have were so great. And I was just, there was one part, though, when I think in one of the episodes where there's like that bloody cleaver. And you're like, what is this? I don't know what this is. And I literally was trying to respond to you like, in my like phone I was like while talking to the phone I'm like it's this it's this and I'm like oh my god I need to stop right now like somebody was like it's an embalming tool I'm like well I wish I would have known that before I recorded it (laughs) like I didn't know (laughs) it was so funny I was just like oh my god (laughs) it's just a clue that's all it is it's just foreshadowing Mm. so what do you think it is about Moon Knight that has really resonated with audiences I think there's something to be said about the system of Mark, Stephen, and then eventually Jake, their brokenness and fighting anyway. I don't think, you know, in life, you don't get to compartmentalize. Like you can't be like, my problems are over, my personal problems are over here. And then my big problems are over here. Like, you know, Mark and Stephen primarily, you know, they're, they're going through major shit internally while major shit happens all around them externally and they have to do their best and they're not perfect. They're not fully formed or self-actualized. And I think we can all relate to that if we're no matter if we're neurotypical or neurodivergent, I think also the depiction of DID in a respectful way was and respectful and also really narratively rich way has been big for like my case as a mostly neurotypical person to learn about it and I, I'm sure for perhaps others to see that representation that isn't exploitative 
Um, and I also think like we were saying, like the, the great performances and the mystery were so expertly weaved into the representation and this like very relatable theme of like your life's falling apart, but you kind of have to figure it out anyway. Like, yeah. And especially as like a college student, hello, like it, it, it was, I was able to actually relate to it. And I think that's what resonates with audiences is that, oh, like I work in a gift shop. I'm Stephen Grant. Um, he wants to be a tour guide. I'm actually going to be a tour guide at my college. So like, you know, and he's into history and like specifically Egyptology. I'm a history major. So like, it's, it's kind of a cool, like, okay, like I relate to this character. I'm obsessed with him and to see him actually, you know, triumphed in the sixth episode, which was phenomenal. I didn't think he was going to be able to do it. And I was like, wow. So like, if he can do it, I can do it kind of deal. And that's actually what he had with Mark, you know, like yeah. if Steve, if Mark can do it, I can also whoop some butt too, you know? So I think it was definitely like the human element that, you know, this isn't Tony Stark. This isn't somebody, this isn't Thor that we can't relate to. It's just a regular guy who we can relate to. Okay. Yeah. I think um, as far as like, you know, what resonated with audiences too is, you know, there was all the moments where he's really stressed out seems so authentic, like the processing and the way he's just like, like some of it manifests so physically where he's like hitting himself or he's stressed out or things like that. Like, I think that at some point in everybody's life, whether as a child or as an adult or whatever, you get these moments of pure frustration. And it's very rare to authentically see that on screen. And I think Oscar Isaac does just an amazing job of portraying that. And just like the sympathy you have after watching one of those episodes and hopefully sympathy and empathy that you have for people who are struggling with mental health on whatever level, you know, is amplified now because of the show, even if it's just in a small way. But I think that that was really, that was really important and it was really smart and well-written. And so hopefully that's what resonated with audiences. How would you compare this series in relation to other Disney plus shows? Honestly, I think it's kind of incomparable because, and the only reason why I say that is because this is a new character. This is a new storyline that we have never seen before in the MCU. Like with WandaVision, you kind of knew what to expect because we knew who Wanda and Vision were. Um, we know who Loki was. We didn't know who Sylvie was. I'll give you that. We also didn't know who Kate Bishop was in Hawkeye, but we did know who uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier were. We know who they were. So I guess it's different because like you said earlier, there were like probably two tie-ins to the MCU with the mention of Madripoor and the ancestral plane. But other than that, it's like a, the, the, everything that happened didn't exist. There was no mention of the blip. Thank God. <laughs> there was no mention of any other, you know, being, it was solely focused on Stephen Grant, Mark Spector. Okay. We have to defeat the bad guy. Um, there's, uh avatars involved that's new let's explore that um so i think it's incomparable in the sense that it's new it's fresh and we haven't seen it before so yeah i i think it's kind of like a step forward like not monumental but like a step forward especially with the subjects that it like it goes through like what you said with the did and mental illness like it explores that and that hasn't been explored probably only with Bucky but that's about it um yeah. so yeah. and maybe a little with Wanda yeah more recently but not to the level where of Moon Knight definitely 
yeah, it kind of like forced audiences to look at it. Like this is what happens when it goes unscathed almost because we see Steven ask for help like probably three times. And then we see Mark humiliated in front of the gods. Like, yeah, I'm unwell, but nobody reached out to like help him or to acknowledge it. It was just kind of brushed off and then exploded in episode five. <laughs> so I think it's kind of incomparable. You can't compare it to any other uh, Marvel Disney Plus show. In no, my opinion. I yeah, I totally agree with that. And then I think a lot of it is because so much of Phase 4 and these Disney Plus series are about wrapping up old storylines and then setting up for a Phase 5, right? So I think this is a really interesting time for Marvel because it's like closing doors and opening new doors and things like that. So like with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, it's wrapping up that Captain America storyline. It's, you know, ushering in the new era, the new captain. It's the same thing with the Hawkeye series, you know, where we are saying goodbye to Hawkeye, to Black Widow, ushering in Yelena and Kate Bishop as the new Hawkeye, the new Black Widow, you know? And and I think that Moon Knight is kind of the way, you know, when all the original Marvel movies were coming out, Iron Man, Thor, um, Hulk, uh, all these like standalone movies, right? They didn't all really tie into each other, except for like end credit scenes where you see Agent Coulson or Nick Fury come in and we're like, oh, we want to talk to you about the Avengers or whatever, right? And I think that a lot of what we're seeing now with like Moon Knight, Eternals, and Shang-Chi is some of that. Not a lot of tie-in to the MCU, but in maybe, you know, five years, we'll get an Avenger-type movie. And then maybe by the 20th anniversary of Marvel, we'll get another Endgame-level event, right? With all of these characters that they're building up right now. So I think as far as like how it compares to other Marvel series, like you said, it's so different. It's, it's setting up something totally new. Um, I trust Marvel, so I'm along for the ride, you know? Um, but it definitely doesn't feel like anything we've seen before, at least to me. Yeah. And it was a good origin story. Like if you put like all six episodes back to back, it looks like just one big movie. And like, it's a, I've never seen an origin story done like this before where it's just, you know, you don't even know your own self and you're figuring it out along the way. So I thought it was pretty cool too. It, it's great character development. I thought the scene where um, Oscar Isaac and Oscar Isaac <laughs> are, in the, you know, trying to get back and he goes to the sand to save him. And he says, you're the only super power I ever had. And I just thought like, wow, like so much of that is about your internal strength. So much, it says so much that you don't need, well, the fighting didn't really matter. It was Steven who kept him alive, who kept him going, you know? And uh, I thought that was really, really impactful. Yeah, I gave myself a hug after that. I was like, I love you. <laughs> like, it's okay. <laughs> like, you're the best. <laughs> And then, um, so I kind of want to deep dive a little bit into the characters. Um, and I want to talk about uh, your, these characters, how your first impression of them, and then your final thoughts by the end of the series. Uh, what did you find compelling about them? Did you find anything lacking about them? And then what do you think about the audience's reaction to these characters? Uh, and 
by audience, I kind of mean, what have you seen on TikTok or online that people are saying? Do you agree with it? Do you not? You know, and what are this, some of the episodes that really made an impression on you? So I kind of want to start with Steven. Um, My love. I love him so much. Tell me your thoughts on Steven. Um, I thought Steven was a cutie pie through and through. Um, I personally I didn't think that he was going to change like his mindset or his thinking like I thought he was just going to like keep you know like he's always going to stay average he's never going to think of himself anymore um when like I think in the in the first episode where he's like um stood up on the date and stuff and he's just kind of like oh like I'm just I guess I'll stick this out I thought he was going to stay like that through and through but in the sixth episode like we see you know he can kick some butt and I was rooting for him all um, you know the entire time I'm actually wearing the shirt of him getting rejected oh no <laughs> um, I love him so much is there anything you found lacking about them or compelling in particular not really with Steven because I think he got like the most screen time like we kind of we kind of knew like okay you know his mom is not around you know both of his moms are not around there there was no like loose ends that needed to be tied in um maybe like how he got the apartment like what like at what point did Mark just clock out and then it was just Steven the entire time I guess I I wanted to see that and the audience all I've been seeing all over TikTok is just you know edits of him and just how much people adore him and how many people relate to him which I think is really beautiful because speaking as someone who falls in love with the villains and who relates to the villains and who sympathizes with them this is the first time that I'm actually sympathizing for the morally good character and um yeah those are my thoughts on Steven I I love him he's my favorite he's my favorite of the entire show I mean, besides Jake, but you know. <laughs> and I think Steven really was the moral compass of the series, right? Everything you're seeing, like the good, you're seeing through his eyes. Like this is the way it should be. Like when he talks about like when Harold's trying to convince him of his plan and he's just like, but you could not, you don't have to kill these people. You don't have to do this, you know? And and I think he is us, like kind of almost reacting to everything that that's happening. And there's also the point where I think it's the first episode. No, uh, the second episode where he goes to look for the storage locker. And uh, and he tells Mark, you know, they're talking to each other in the mirrors and, and things like that. And he's like, you know, um, I'm going to get pumped up full of drugs so I can hear your voices. I'm going to turn myself in because clearly he knows he's a danger. Clearly he knows like he's in the wrong. And that level of responsibility for uh, like to protect others that level of accountability is something you don't really see a lot in like storytelling so I thought that was really great having him as like the moral compass and uh I think I agree with you that most reactions that I've seen to his character have been just people like protect him like don't let anything happen to him he's so sweet poor thing uh, but I think the thing that really made the most impression on me about Steven was just the fact that he was, he said what we all think in our daily lives out loud. So for example, the scene where he tells Layla, I would never divorce you. You know what I mean? How many times have we probably said that to ourselves about somebody, or there was things that we wanted from the other person or like unrequited love or whatever, but you never say it out loud for fear of rejection or whatever, but he just says everything out loud. He just spits out what he thinks. 
And I think that that's very sweet of him and very honest of him. And I just, I think that that's the thing that really stuck out to me the most is how honest he was about everything and how willing to be vulnerable and open with his feelings. And that's a very attractive quality. It is. Yeah, that's his thing. He's being honesty. Yeah. So in comparison to Steven, um, what are your thoughts on Mark? I feel so bad for Mark. (laughs) Um, I think Mark's whole story, like in the beginning, I kind of didn't like Mark because of the way he was treating Steven. Like, you know, just go to sleep. Like, let me take over, you know, Um, not give him an explanation, just keep him in the dark. But when we see him in episode six, like he's in, sorry, not the system, let me backtrack. So in episode three, when he's, you know, being standoffish with Layla when he's not trying to connect with her, obviously to protect her, but she doesn't, you know, care about that. She cares about his well-being. And like after all the development in five or sorry, four and five, when we get to six and he embraces her and like calls her baby, which shocked, you know, on the floor. Um, it was kind of like a, oh my goodness, like he's showing affection. Like he can, you know, he has some care in his heart. I always thought he was like stone cold and we see in his, you know, past why he's stone cold. But I think Mark, Mark's whole development is probably like the most beautiful out of the show. I mean, aside from Stevens, I love Steven. But um, I think that there was nothing really lacking in Mark's storytelling you know, maybe just like what happens after they only give us that little snippet. I really wanted to see like them in their daily lives. But um, I think that's, yeah, he had the most beautiful development. And the reaction from TikTok is mainly just like, um, it's that one scene where he calls her a baby. And like, um, there's a more like, he's a protector kind of thing. Like you want to protect Steven, but you want Mark to protect you kind of deal which speaks volumes, but we're not going to get into that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, um, the way that Oscar Isaac can play two different people and you can clearly see who is who is very brilliant. And I know that some of it has to do with posture and the way they have his hair and, you know, but the fact that he can go from being meek and small to like strong and confident, like that's like that switch is absolutely amazing. You know, it's, it's just so impressive what Oscar Isaac can do so easily. Um, Well, I don't know if it's easy. I'm assuming he makes it look easy. I'm saying so easily, but that's probably not the case. Um, But I, I just really, I just really appreciate like how, just the way he switches. And then also um, he, in where, that scene where he said, where he calls her Layla baby. So I kept thinking when I first saw the series, I'm like, it's been three months and he, and he hasn't contacted you. And then the phone went off and then you come running track his phone, like, you know, to get him. Most women would be like, you didn't respond to me for three months. Screw you. Get out of here. Right. (laughs) And I was like, what's the appeal to Mark? If he's just kind of like a jerk and he, you know, why are you going after him? I know that he's your husband. Clearly you must love him, but why do you love him? You know, because Layla seems like this self-sufficient, badass, confident woman. So like, why are you chasing this guy who has clearly just ditched you? Right. Mm-hmm. So I was like, maybe it's just part of the fact that she's like, oh, maybe something happened to him when we get that scene where he's like, oh, baby. I was like, oh, OK, so there's this other layer to their relationship that has ha- happened off screen and that we didn't get to see. So I think I would have liked to see that. Why Layla had fallen in love with Mark 
what a little bit of their adventures together. Maybe we'll see that more in the future in, you know, future seasons. I don't know, but I think I would have liked to see that, like how you said, a little bit of them in their daily lives. And also, I don't know, there is, you know, the boat scenes with like Bucky and Falcon, you know, in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I love that. I ate it up. It's some of my favorite stuff that's happened in the Marvel series. And so when you said that about the, uh, you know, seeing them in their daily lives, I would have loved a little bit of Layla and Mark like that. It would have been just great. Um, Yeah. It's like a kind of like a subtle, happy ending, but it's also like a, okay, so this is how they, this is how he deals with Mark and Steven. This is how, you know, they get along in their relationship, you know? Cause if I was Layla, I'd be like, you know what? Just stay Steven the entire time. (laughs) Don't like, no, Mark, you're done. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that um, it'll be interesting in future episodes if they do stay a couple, which I'm assuming they will. Um, but if they do stay a couple, how Layla deals with the system and how Layla, like, you know, cause it has to be hard on her, the switching back and forth and stuff and the lack of consistency that can't be easy. Right. That's got to take its own toll on her as well. Yeah. So it'll be really interesting to see, um, you know, how it goes. And, and obviously we've seen that, like the mark that Layla knows was just Mark from what we can tell until his mom died and then Steven came back and he wasn't able to like separate them anymore. So I think for the most part, Layla did get Mark most of the time. So uh, let's talk about Layla. So Layla, I kind of, I was kind of iffy about her until she was like, you know what? Like, I'm still your wife. I was like, hold on, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, I would have loved to see like a little flashback with her and her father at a dig site. I would have loved that. I would have ate it up or like her making the the scarlet scarf for her dad. I would have loved to see that. I was kind of confused in episode three. Like, was that her mom or was that her aunt like making the passport for her? I was like, who is this? But we definitely see that, you know, in that little segment right there where she's talking about like, oh, I don't steal. I can't steal something that's already been stolen. So she's been around, you know, also in episode two, when she started like whooping Harrow's henchmen, I was like, okay, you can fight. (laughs) I didn't think she was going to be able to do that. And that could be because Marvel always sets, you know, the audience up for like, not a weak female character, but like, you know, this is what a female character does. She doesn't have any superpowers. But then, boom, she's the Scarlet Scarab, which I thought was great. And I kind of got teary-eyed when the when that one woman was like, are you an Egyptian sh- superhero? And she was like, yes, I am. I was like, yes, finally, like, we get to branch off, like, great. But I think, yeah, the only thing lacking is just a little bit of origin for Layla. Like, nothing too big. We did get it, but... I don't think it was enough, you know, like I would have loved to see the connection with her father or like, you know, her discovering a scarab and the, the kind of climate on TikTok is basically just like all the women are for Layla, all everybody's for Layla. And I was like, yes, you know, like they're just all pumping her up. Like it's the scene, like the edits of her, like with her wings and Talwit, it's great too. I love her. (laughs) As the series was going and as Khonshu and Mark were debating about, you know, Layla being the next avatar and things like that. I was like, oh, maybe it's only Oscar Isaac one season and we get yeah. Moon Knight, you know, Layla. 
And I was like, I don't know if I like that, but that's what I thought was going to happen. Right. I was like, oh, well, you know, we'll see where it goes. I was like, maybe this show is setting up Layla when they started mentioning those things. That's what I, that's where I kind of thought it was going to go. But then when she was the Scarlet Scarab, I was like, oh, oh, this is like a whole new thing. I was like, this is exciting. Like to have two, two new superheroes, you know? And like you said, that scene where she's like, are you an Egyptian superhero? My heart, I like, I was just like, oh my God, so excited. So like, I'm not Egyptian. I don't know. It's just so (laughs) exciting. Like, it's just so cool. I mean, I grew to love her because she was so new to me. And I think she's kind of introduced in this very jarring way. I remember seeing originally online that everyone's like, like people didn't really like Layla because they'd already like had a week to like imagine themselves with Steven. (laughs) (laughs) I loved her, especially by the end when she turned down Kanchu and referred to herself as a superhero because it was so refreshing to see a woman with such strong boundaries. And she was so self-possessed on screen, especially for a woman of color. That was insane. And I love that she's, I think it's, you know, it has been confirmed by Marvel that she's the Scarlet Scarab. And that's awesome. I want to see more of her. I think that's great. And I love that, like, t- like her and Taveret, like the, I just think like, I love like that whole feminine energy. There's that moment where she was like, she tells Kanchu, like, I can do this without having to enslave myself to you. And that was so powerful for me because I don't think Mark or anybody else would have done that. She was like, no, no, no. She was like, I can still do good without like having to be manipulated by you. And like you said, those boundaries were so strong with her. And we rarely, rarely Mm -hmm. see that in any form of like cinema or television storytelling like that. So there was also the scene where she's in the, in the pyramid Mm -hmm. and she's being attacked by what is the name? A mummy, uh, a zombie, a uh, like, priest or something. Yeah. 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 So she's being, I was waiting the whole time for Steven to come save her. And then Steven doesn't save her. She saves herself and she gets out of it on her own. And I was like, oh, am I conditioned to think that like the man has to come? Like, why did I think he was going to come out every second? Like, yeah, I was just waiting for it. I was like, oh, Moon Knight's going to come out or Mr. Knight's going to come out right now and save her at the last minute. But he didn't. She saved herself. And I was like, oh, conditioning. Like, yes. Of course, Layla doesn't need anybody. She kicked everybody's butt in Harrow's thing or whatever. She's got this. So I think that really impressed upon me, like how great Layla was as a character. And um, I really love the the choice of writing or directing or whatever it was that pulled her out of these things on her own. Yes. And I think, I think, I think that there's a tweet by Mohammed Diab, the director that's going around and it's quite viral that it was like really important for him to have an Egyptian superhero with curly hair, because a lot of this is fueled by his daughter saying there were no superheroes who looked like him or like her, her rather. And I think you, I think it's very apparent how much care and, like you're saying, thoughtfulness and love and respect was put into Layla and her portrayal um, rather than just having her be like, Moon Knight's a strange wife. <laughs> There's um, a spoiler. Just this is a little bit of a spoiler for Multiverse of uh, Madness. Have you seen it, Maria? Or you... I have. Okay. Yes. There's this line where right at the beginning of the film, America Chavez, Sochi Gomez is sitting down with 
Benedict Cumberbatch with Benedict Wong. And her character says, Este way no habla español? Like, which is, <laughs> I've never heard way used like in this, like in a movie that wasn't like a, like a dumb comedy or, or something like that. But it's very specific to the way like Latinx communities talk and especially like, you know, California and SoCal area, you know, and if you're like Mexican American stuff, way is very like specific. And so I couldn't stop laughing. And I was like, oh my God, in the MCU, they said way, <laughs> which is like this jerk or this nerd, or this guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever, you know? And so it was like this little specific thing. And I like, couldn't stop thinking about it the whole movie. I was like, she said way. <laughs> like, and so like, I can't even imagine what that was like for, you know, Egyptian women, Egyptian girls to see Layla like that. Like, oh, my, I just am happy for them. <laughs> queen yes and so then we're going to go back to harold a little bit tell us your you know impressions final thoughts like did you have one type of impression how did you feel about it towards the end what was compelling lacking and you know what do you think about the audience reaction to him so obviously like i i knew he was kind of like a bad guy but like you said earlier like i think it was in episode two where he was trying to like coerce steven into like giving him the scarab you know you started to think about it like hmm all right so he's like taking out all the bad people before the bad things happen kind of makes sense do i want to side with him like he has good intentions but he's going about it the wrong way and then when steven was like yeah but what if it was a child and then when harold's like you know what it doesn't matter you're still gonna get rid of it like whoa you know that's when i was like, okay villain I at the end I thought you know with the end credit scenes talk about it I thought it was kind of like a you know he thought he was going to get away with it I thought they were breaking him out you know but then it just stopped right there and I was like whoa um but I think his development into becoming like a loyal disciple to Amit I I really wish I wanted to see what made him break away from Kanchu to follow Amit like so submissively there was something missing there. I'm like, why would you go from a big bird to an alligator? I don't, I don't get it. You know, these uh, are the questions. Yes, exactly. Like, I wish that there was like a little, little scene where you see him like finally detached from Conchu, and then like he stumbles upon like maybe a book about Amit, or like he sees it happening, like someone judged him. Overall, I think he was a really good villain or like a really good antagonist, you know, mm -hmm. because he was human and became just like Mark. So they were kind of like, well, not, not just like Mark, but like became an avatar. So they were at some point equal. There was no disadvantage on either side. So I kind of thought that I still don't like Harold, <laughs> even though there are some simps on TikTok there. They won't stop talking about him in the psychiatry ward. Um, <laughs> I'm off that side of TikTok, but um, I thought it was a really good development to see him play the antagonist, but also like to play devil's advocate in Mark's mind, you know, as a psychiatrist. So I thought he was pretty good at what he did. He made me not like him. So he did a good job. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really interesting Mariah, how he he is this very interesting foil to Mark and Jake and Steven where, and I don't know if we've really seen this in the MCU. Like we have, like he was in the same shoes as Mark had been. And like, this is what happened to him. And I also think he did such a great job because Ethan Hawke is just a master of the craft. 
and grounding the performance within all the mystical stuff, like without becoming like a mustache twirling villain and like larger than life and crazy, but he still had a very like kind of sinister nature. Yeah. So it was, it was so subtle. And like, again, it was like kind of like this creeping sinisterness rather than like, it's me, the bad guy. Um, so I, I thought that was super brilliant. And yeah, I think I loved him most as a psychiatrist. I don't think I'm going to go simp on TikTok, um, but I I loved him as a psychiatrist because I was so convinced he wanted to help Stephen and Mark, but I didn't think I could, but I knew like there was that instinct that I couldn't trust him due to the heroin scene before. So I think, I know the, sh- the series wanted to play with perception, what's real and what's not. And I think Hera was an integral piece of that and he nailed it. Yeah. Also, there's that scene when he's a psychiatrist and he's telling, you know, the orderlies, like, don't hurt him, go easy on him. Like he has this like empathy and this kindness towards Mark or Stephen, whoever he's with at the moment, or Jake even, because I think at one of those scenes, he's he's Jake. He just plays that so well. And I think in our real everyday lives, the villains in our our lives, the people that have caused damage in our lives are not clear, like bad guys, like you said, mustache curling. They don't fit the description. I think most of the time it's people who are very good at being charming, telling you what you want to hear, love bombing you and, you know, making you feel like you can trust them. And then comes that betrayal. And that's why it hurts so much. And that's why you're so betrayed. And I think that Ethan Hawke portrays that really well, because he always comes off as the level headed one when he's with the other gods in the temple and he's explaining his case and everything. He's very level headed. He's very like, hey, guys, you know, this is what's going on. And I think about the scene in um Beauty and the Beast, where the live action one, right? Where like uh, Luke Evans is convincing the town that they have to go kill this beast and like this mom mentality and things like that. And I remember thinking, why wouldn't anybody listen to Gaston? He's charming. He was like an army general or like whatever, like, you know, he's handsome. He knows how to make people feel good about themselves. Like, yeah, like he, he would be somebody who he's very politician in that way, right? And so I think Harrow has that, where it's very easy to be charmed by him. Clearly, he just wants peace and goodness and this and that. What I thought was really interesting, and I think, Mariah, you talked a little bit about this, was that like we didn't see why he left Khonshu for Amit. Maybe he thought Khonshu wasn't doing enough. Maybe he was like becoming to be like maybe consumed by the suit and enjoyed the killing maybe, or I don't know. Isn't that what he said in the, um, there's that big monologue he did, I think at the end of episode three, where he's like, my success is because of you. And I hate myself that I enjoyed this so much. I think maybe I, I, and it's like, Mariah, you have a good point. Like that's the reason why we weren't, it's, it's unfortunate. We didn't have the time to see also Marvel for season two of any other show, can we do more than six episodes for the love of Khonshu and Ahmed and Tawaret? Um, I need 10 episodes of Min. But like, I think it was, I wanted to see what it, it specifically it was that like made him break. And I guess, I mean, you can see like he was this power of vengeance. And I think he loved the killing, but hated that he loved the killing. And then like maybe Ahmed is a way that there was, it's kind of a bloodless death, right? Especially before he his crocodile rock statue or staff turns into just a straight up axe. Like 
he it's that's pretty easy he just like he has this tattoo the 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 you know the little staff goes back and forth and And there's no guilt because it wasn't you that killed him it was somebody else it was Ahmed and then like and then the person just falls down he's not like you know because we see like how bloody especially in that first episode in Alpine Village like we see how bloody Kanchu's vengeance gets and I think this was like a more sanitized again easily kind of rat easy method or approach to rationalize but yeah it's so interesting the other thing that I want to know is like why was um why did Kanchu choose Harrow right like what was it about Harrow that Kanchu was like oh you're going to be my avatar how long was he his avatar for you know what I mean and then also like there's that whole thing with Harrow and the broken glass in his uh shoes right Mm-hmm. So Harold knows he's not worthy because he's not good. And so as penance and as like a way to like to scales. Stay, balance the scales or whatever, he hurts himself and he gives himself pain, hoping that that's enough to like uh, Amit happy or to like prove to Amit that he does have good intentions. Look, I'm willing to like put the pain that I put on others onto myself or whatever. Right. But then Amit says, oh, well, it didn't even matter because my last perfect avatar or whatever was the one that helped and trap me and so is com is Ahmed even serious or she's just like a psychopath like it just makes you think of there's that Kim Petra song where it's like let's ride <laughs> I just feel like she was like you know what I don't even care that your your skills are found let's ride like and I get it she's in a teeny tiny statue and the decaying gullet of Alexander the Great for 45 years, thousand years. So yeah, or 2000 years, whatever. Like she's like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I personally think that she was a little bit on the psychopath end of the spectrum because as soon as she gets free, like you said, like, let's ride, like, let's go. I don't need no breakfast. I don't need no, you know, I don't need a nap. I was asleep this whole time. It was just a little bit too much of a jump, I guess. And I, personally think that it would have been way cooler if like they brought all the people there like in the pyramid and she was sitting there and she would just start judging them like that would be cool but um, I think yeah she was kind of like a little too a little too quick to jump the gun there you know <laughs> also speaking about in the pyramid um I think that I would have liked to see uh, the fight between the other avatars and Harrow and his men last a little bit longer because shouldn't these other avatars also be like badass and like why was it only Mark and Layla that had yeah been, like, I hated that I personally hated that I I thought the Aeneid was so interesting and I feel like that for you was like a huge missed opportunity I feel like if we had one more episode, we could have explored that a little bit more. And and maybe not even like, it didn't have to be like so much of this huge epic fight or anything, but just to see them put up a bigger fight, I think I would have really liked to see the other gods. And then does this open up a world for later on? Are we going to run into these other avatars? Because obviously these all died, right? So are we going to get new versions of those avatars? So I don't know. I would have liked to see them kind of like, get a suit get their suit on you know even just even if it was quick and then Harold was just too powerful or whatever I, I could have wrapped my head around that it would have been okay but there was that line where she tells Khonshu like we could have had we could have made the world we wanted together and he was like no but I can't just kill anybody so I think they're a really weird couple like 
I don't know. There's something crazy going on there. Yeah, I, th- I thought him and Ahmed had a thing or like maybe him and um, Hathor had a thing back in the day, like the, the goddess of music, right? I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to the whole, like the scene between Harold V, the gods, right? I thought that was so funny how they like cut away because it didn't really matter because we basically treated them the way that they treated Mark, you know, like, you know what, we're done. This case is done. Well, now they're done. Like they don't, they had no effect. They, you know, like we knew that there, there's not going to be no other gods interfering here besides Kanchu Viamit, which <laughs> I thought was pretty hilarious. It was so, it was such a throwback to Power Rangers, you know, like Megasaurus versus whatever. Um, I forget the evil the empress's name i forget her name um, rita rapola rita yes i was like one of her monsters versus megasaurus or like dinosaurus it was it was so funny but yeah i i thought the scene with Harrow and the gods was so funny they didn't care they're like you know what cut to layla <laughs> it was really funny the scenes where like uh the hippo goddess was talking to layla through these dead bodies it was just so funny to me and like i I'm sure it was meant to be funny. I think that Marvel wanted us to laugh, you know, but it was really weird. I'm like, oh my God, you just possess these dead bodies. Like that's kind of messed up, right? And I love so that. funny. I loved how it was like, and <laughs> and she was just like, and then when Layla was like, hey, are you here? Okay, I changed my mind. And she's like, Layla. <laughs> I have the best outfit. <laughs> like, which is like, yes. But with that, um, when they were actually talking and she mentioned her father, I thought that was a really touching moment where it's like, I helped your father go to the field of reeds. Like his, his heart was in the right place. I was like, oh my God. Like that was so, that was such a good like point to like make between Tawetta and I think that's what kind of eased Layla into accepting her as that, you know, being her avatar. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if all of these avatars maybe some of them are not as violent as others and maybe that's why the fight didn't go as well yeah. and maybe these gods were like no we're more about peace or love or art or whatever and maybe that's why it didn't go so well I don't know I'm just throwing things out there yeah I think that's very accurate I have very few critiques for this series but I think that was something that again as a huge mythology nerd I found lacking I wanted to know I think it's really cool that all these, all they, they all, all the Egyptian gods have avatars, but I do wish we got to get a little more world building in that respect and, and see how they functioned a little more. Cause it just seemed like they were people like living their lives. Like, what are they doing? What are they doing? Like, like all it is like, you know, Harold's running around, like judging people. Conscious avatar is running around, like beating people up. In the name of vengeance. He's vengeance. But, like, <laughs> but like, what is Hopper's avatar doing? What is Osiris's avatar doing? Like, what are they doing? Just yeah. making weird gestures. I know podcasting is not visual meeting, but I'm just like, what's, oh, oh, but why? <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing that um, I kind of liked about the series it, overall was that it was set in London. And it was set in Egypt and we got out of New York, right? I think that's what yeah. I loved about Eternals was that it was just not the typical landscape, right? We get to see like other places and things like that. But I did think it was funny that it was a London museum and London has a bunch of controversy right now about all the artifacts that they, you know, while they were busy <laughs> colonizing, kept and haven't returned. 
you know, it makes sense that Stephen was at a London gift shop in a London museum because yeah, they would have all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think hopefully if there is a season two, um, that's something that maybe Scarlet Scarab will be a part of or Layla will be a part of because we hear about it a little bit in episode three, where she's like, I think she's they were the family friend who's making the fake passport for her is saying like, yeah, we need to, she's like, oh, you go around stealing stuff. She's like, oh no, this is already stolen. And then Scarlet Scarab in the comics, um, I've not read them, but I've, I just watched the new rock stars breakdowns religiously um, saying that like Scarlet Scarab was actually originally a man and a villain in this comic series called the invaders. Um, so I think it'd be really interesting to invert that and maybe Layla, that's kind of what she does is from this point on is she is trying to restore these artifacts or especially maybe like really important artifacts, like the new Shakti that has a Egyptian God caught in it to like where they ought to be like back into Giza. So yeah, I think that's it. It's like the opposite of Indiana Jones. Like it belongs in a museum. It does not. Yes. <laughs> no, it does not actually. It belongs with the native people. Cool. Glad we had this talk. <laughs> yeah, I would I would actually like to see that, um, what you just mentioned. And I would also like to see, you know, what if, you know, Jake kind of intervenes with that and like, you know, kind of like not judges her, but it's like, you know, that's wrong. Like what you're doing mm-hmm. is wrong. But um, I would love to see like that kind of storyline. That's actually really interesting. I had no idea that Scarlet, Scar- Scarlet Scarab was a man. So like, yeah, babe, I'm going to send you some videos. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like I got you. <laughs> um, which is actually kind of cool because like going back all the way um, to like representation and all that, as someone who hasn't read the comics, as someone who hasn't been like educated in that little area, it's kind of refreshing to like, know like that's my first impression of the Scarlet Scarab is a strong woman with mm-hmm. those strong boundaries who can whoop anybody you know um it's not like oh they made him into a woman like no that's that's my scarlet scarab you know you can judge all you want but that's who she is to me so i thought that was really cool a couple years ago when endgame came out we interviewed jim starlin who was the creator of thanos and one of the things that we asked him was you know how do you feel about like the changes between your comics for this particular question that we asked him we uh, Aaron Powell was the one who did the interview. I was a camera person. And uh, he asked him, you know, like in the original comics, it's Silver Surfer that crashes into uh, Doctor Strange's house and says Thanos is coming. But in the movies, it's the Hulk. And so he asked him, like, how do you feel about these changes being made to your original work? And he was like, I'd be crazy to be mad. He was like, this is a different retelling. This is, um, you know, not the same thing. And he was talking about how the some of the stuff doesn't translate well from comics to, you know, to the series. So as long as you're able to kind of like understand that there are two different retellings of the same story, you can kind of be like, oh, okay. Like I get it. That's fine. Um, I understand that if you're a comic book fan and you just love these stories so much and you do want to see them translated the way they were in the comics because it brings back those feelings you had when you first read those comics. I get that. I really do. And I sympathize with that. But I just don't think that that's the industry that we're in is telling like perfect retellings of the original comics. And I think especially with DID, that doesn't that definitely doesn't translate well when these were written so many years ago 
And the information in those other comics are a little bit dated and would not translate well. Well, I also think there's a bigger thing to be said if we're talking about mythology. I think a lot of people view these superhero stories in like the MCU as our modern mythology. And if you go back and look at mythology, it's supposed to be ever-changing. It's not, I think, you know, it's been so long since like the Greeks kind of ruled the world or had their prominence, like their civilization was at the height of prominence and the Egyptians that kind of like things have been codified. So we kind of like, this is the kind of like the general knowledge on this God and this goddess and this story. But, you know, during the, those, the times where those, you know, if we were a contemporary for the Greeks, like it wasn't, there were a lot of different retellings and there was a lot of different pe people had different takes on these characters. And I think that just means like, we're making our own mythology presently. Like I just think of um, King Arthur and, there is, there's that, that story has gone through all these different cycles. And you know why Lancelot's a thing? Because some French dude read King Arthur or heard the story of King Arthur. She's like, you know, it'd be cool. If she, if Guinevere, like, had sex with a French dude. And that's, and, and her Lancelot. It's literally self-insert fanfic. So like, I think, again, I think, yeah, you can, and I think we talked about this in, um, the last time I was here, Monica, you can, enjoy both and you don't need to necessarily compare them it's fun to like track the differences I also am a huge history buff Mariah and it's like I can enjoy the crown knowing that it's not perfectly historically accurate and still appreciate the history and it's kind of fun I guess for me as a writer to see what you change and how you change it to make it work for the screen yeah yeah absolutely I I really I agree with that wholeheartedly <laughs> Yeah, like um, drifting away from Marvel real quick, there is a show called The Alienist that has Daniel Brühl, a.k.a. Zero, yeah. right? Love that show. Um, it was actually based on a book and like seeing it translate from the book to the show, obviously it's not going to be perfect, but to, as a history buff, it was to me. So it kind it won't translate well to comic book lovers, but I think what the movies and the shows do is that it gives it, it serves its justice, you know, like it's not going to be the same characters falling into the sanctum or like, it's not going to be the same um, layout for like how to introduce Mark's DID or like how to introduce each character. Like I honestly thought they were going to introduce Jake. They milked it, you know, maybe he was introduced like right away in the comics, but I think that, you know what they did the build up the tension the suspense like that was that did the comics justice you're not going to get that from the graphic novel you can just easily turn a page but you have to wait like a week or two for the next episode or then like two three years for the next movie so mm -hmm. i think that i know i'm like way off topic but i no, think that not. it's it's pretty cool how marvel just devises it like it's a whole layout it's like mm -hmm. It, it looks like one solid thing, but it's a whole network. And I think that what they did with this show is that it's serving the comics justice a little bit. Yeah, I totally agree. And just talking about the Marvel layout, I know Marvel just did, Kevin Feige was talking about it in an interview. You know, they just talked about the Marvel retreat where they're going to map out the next couple phases and the next 10 years of Marvel and things like that. And I think that they're... We've in the last five years, we've been used to nothing but big Marvel events, big Marvel events, big, huge stories. You know, we have Spider-Man Far From Home. We have Endgame, Infinity War, you know, all these big events, even Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. 
is a culmination of like all these. It's not a standalone thing. It's just something that has been happening since we got introduced to Wanda in, you know, the Age of Ultron or whatever. So this is also like kind of a big event, right? And so we're so used to these big epic moments. But I think sometimes as fans, we forget that that was a slow build and it took us, you know, 12 years? No. Yeah, just about 12 years to get, you know, to this point in the Marvel universe. Um, And so right now we're resetting that and starting the new phase. And I think we won't see other huge events for another like eight to 10 years. I think right now it'll, it'll be Marvel's hardest job is going to be getting people excited about these small stories that feel like slow burns that feel because I know a lot of people are like, Oh, they want to see like, they wanted to see Jake in the season finale. They wanted to see all these things, you know, and people are like, how are they going to wrap this up in one episode? You know, how are they going to introduce Jake and this and that? And they barely just mentioned him and we probably won't even see him until like season two or maybe a standalone movie or who knows what's coming next. Right. Cause they didn't specifically say like in Loki, they said, Oh, Loki will return in season two, but we didn't get that this. So maybe it's a movie, maybe it's something else. We, we could speculate all day about it, but um, I think Mar- Marvel's biggest challenge is going to be kind of getting people to pay attention to these characters and love these characters during the slow burn and remind fans that not everything is going to be like a big, huge event. And we just have to have patience until the next thing, you know? But before we wrap up, is there anything that you want to say? Any final thoughts on Moon Knight? If I could rate this show, I'd rate it 9 out of 10. Obviously, there's like a little tweaks here and there. I was taking off a point because I did want to see Jake, but the beauty of building up, you know, the reveal at the end that he's not totally free, that we are still going to probably see Moon Knight or the the different color, like uh, it's the black suit with the white cape, I think. I think that's Jake's suit. Hopefully we see that one. Um, I thought the show was brilliant. I thought it was great. I Every episode was just different. I've never watched a show like this ever. I can't remember the last time that I actually watched like a, a decent show. I mean, aside from the other Marvel Disney Plus shows, you know, but it was just the storytelling and how we practically got an origin story in the fifth episode and not the first one, you know, like, uh, like your daily routine is interrupted. All of a sudden you belong to a moon god, like, whoa. I thought it was great. Honestly, if they don't give a season two, it's probably going to be bad. But if they give us a movie, yeah, like that would be great. I hope that they treat these characters the way that they treated them in the show. Probably my biggest fear is that they're just going to downplay everything that they just built up, you know. But then again, we don't know what they're doing. But yeah, I, I can't get enough of this show. I've probably seen it like probably 30 times already back to back. It's so good. The music choices. Oh, oh my God. As, yes. as a lover of old school music, like, you know, Engelbert Humperdinck, like to put some respect on his name. I love that song. It's especially the Egyptian music that they it, like, included. Like they went hard in episode two. Wow. Like I, you know, that opened me up to Egyptian rap. Like I never, you know, heard of that before. It was just... They were so good just including everything in the representation, like from the music to they they did not use that filter that, you know, generic American entertainment uses when talking about the Middle East, which I thought was great. You know, I was like, oh, my goodness, I never knew that they did that. 
it was just the show was made with love and respect for the characters and i love it i probably one of my favorite shows of all time now it's just six episodes my my last thought on moon knight is that i really enjoyed it i've rewatched it three times and i typically don't haven't done that with other marvel series where i'm like rewatching it it's the first time in a long time it's the first time that i've been rewatching a show so i'm very excited to see what they're doing. I think that the fact that Oscar Isaac is an executive producer on the show means that we're going to get a lot more and that he's really invested in this because I know some people were concerned that they were going to just hand it over to Layla, uh, which would be fine with me, but I don't want to lose Oscar Isaac. (laughs) So um, yeah, so I'm excited for the future. I'm hoping that that we see a lot more Moon Knight and I can't wait to see when it does finally tie into the MCU. So this is going to wrap up this episode of the Temple Geek podcast. We want to thank everybody who tuned in today and especially our guests, Victoria and Mariah. Thank you for being here. Um, if you guys have any questions or comments, feel free to hit us up on Facebook or Twitter, Twitter using the handle Temple of Geek. Do you want to check out some of our other episodes or shows? Why don't you head on over to templeofgeek.com where you can find all sorts of content that pertains to the world of geek. Please follow us on Twitter at Temple of Geek. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Temple of Geek. And remember to visit TempleofGeek.com. Your one stop for all things geek. Goodbye. This will conclude our transmission.